Part 5, Chapter 12 of Home Education Series, Volume 1, Home Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Home Education Series, Volume 1, Home Education, by Charlotte Mason. Part 5, Chapter 12, Spelling and Dictation. Read by Lisa A. Of all the mischievous exercises in which children spend their school hours, dictation, as commonly practiced, is perhaps the most mischievous, and this because people are slow to understand that there is no part of a child's work at school which some philosophic principle does not underlie. A Fertile Cause of Bad Spelling The common practice is for the teacher to dictate a passage, clause by clause, repeating each clause, perhaps, three or four times, under a fire of questions from the writers. Every line has errors in spelling, one, two, three, perhaps. The conscientious teacher draws her pencil under these errors, or solemnly underlines them with red ink. The children correct in various fashions. Sometimes they change books, and each corrects the errors of another, copying the word from the book or from the blackboard. A few benighted teachers still cause children to copy their own error along with the correction, which last is written three or four times, learned, and spelt to the teacher. The latter is astonished at the pure perversity which causes the same errors to be repeated again and again, notwithstanding all these painstaking efforts. THE RATIONALE OF SPELLING But the fact is, the gift of spelling depends upon the power the eye possesses to take, in a photographic sense, a detailed picture of a word, and this is a power and habit which must be cultivated in children from the first. When they have read cat, they must be encouraged to see the word with their eyes shut, and the same habit will enable them to image Thermopylae. This picturing of words upon the retina appears to me to be the only royal road to spelling. An error once made and corrected leads to fearful doubt for the rest of one's life as to which was the wrong way and which the right. Most of us are haunted by some such doubt as to whether balance, for instance, should have one L or two, and the doubt is born of a correction. Once the eye sees a misspelt word, that image remains, and if there is also the image of the word rightly spelt, we are perplexed as to which is which. Now we see why there could not be a more ingenious way of making bad spellers than dictation, as it is commonly taught. Every misspelt word is an image in the child's brain, not to be obliterated by the right spelling. It becomes, therefore, the teacher's business to prevent false spelling, and, if an error has been made, to hide it away, as it were, so that the impressions may not become fixed. Steps of a Dictation Lesson Dictation lessons, conducted in some such way as the following, usually result in good spelling. A child of eight or nine prepares a paragraph, older children a page or two or three pages. The child prepares by himself, by looking at the word he is not sure of, and then seeing it with his eyes shut. Before he begins, the teacher asks what words he thinks will need his attention. He generally knows, but the teacher may point out any word likely to be a cause of stumbling. He lets his teacher know when he is ready. The teacher asks if there are any words he is not sure of. These she puts one by one on the blackboard, letting the child look till he has a picture, and then rubbing the word out. If anyone is still doubtful, he should be called to put the word he is not sure of on the board, 
the teacher watching to rub out the word when a wrong letter begins to appear, and again helping the child to get a mental picture. Then the teacher gives out the dictation, clause by clause, each clause repeated once. She dictates with a view to the pointing, which the children are expected to put in as they write, but they must not be told comma, semicolon, etc. After the sort of preparation I have described, which takes ten minutes or less, there is rarely an error in spelling. If there be, it is well worth while for the teacher to be on the watch with slips of stamp paper to put over the wrong word, that its image may be erased as far as possible. At the end of the lesson, the child should again study the wrong word in his book until he says he is sure of it, and should write it correctly on the stamp paper. A lesson of this kind secures the hearty cooperation of children, who feel they take their due part in it, and it also prepares them for the second condition of good spelling, which is, much reading combined with the habit of Im imaging the words as they are read. Illiterate spelling is usually a sign of sparse reading, but sometimes of hasty reading without the habit of seeing the words that are skimmed over. Spelling must not be lost sight of in the children's other studies, though they should not be teased to spell. It is well to write a difficult proper name, for example, on the blackboard in the course of history or geography readings, rubbing the word out when the children say they can see it. The whole secret of spelling lies in the habit of visualizing words from memory, and children must be trained to visualize in the course of their reading. They enjoy this way of learning to spell. End of Part 5, Chapter 12